This week on episode 530 of Priority One, New Jersey settles the age-old question, which is better, Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Trek wins several awards, Star Trek Online gets some quality of life improvements, and we're joined by Star Trek Discovery's Noah averbach Katz. You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 530 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, November 2nd, and available for download or streaming on Friday, November 5th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Ilio. I'm Kat. And I'm Roscoe. Well, Captains, we hope you had a spooktacular Halloween! Weekend, and that you all got some great bag full of treats. And welcome back, Cat, as well. <laughs> Speaking of bags of treats. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> welcome back, Cat. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks. I, um, you know, like I said, opening and opening night of the NBA basketball season, I had to be there since I just moved back to Dallas. So excellent game. We won. Yay. Nice. You know, I got to say, it was really fun to see everybody on Twitter donning all their awesome Star Trek cosplay over the Halloween weekend. A lot of lower decks. I know. I uh, saw so many lower decks that were amazing. Yeah. Uh. yeah, really fun stuff. So kudos to all you cosplayers out there uh, and costumers and general fans of Trek that celebrated Halloween by becoming a Starfleet officer. And some excellent work, I've got to say, too, Kat, from the Armada having the Halloween costume <gasps> event. Yeah, because that was fun. Some of the work that went the, into those uh, costumes was fantastic as well. Oh, listen, the winner of our contest, Hyper Hydrar, who's also Australian, uh, he did a dupler and used the Shard of Possibilities to duplicate his dupler it was amazing. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. So Bravo. Good. That's great. Bravo. That is excellent. That's cool. That's cool. Well, before we jump into the news, we want to welcome new listeners to the show and we hope you'll stay in touch. You see, this show is produced by a community of volunteers who donate their time and their talents because, like you, they are passionate about what Star Trek is all about. So we hope you'll get involved and be a part of our community. Follow us on social media so you can share your thoughts about the weekly headlines. Join the Armada so that you can experience Star Trek gaming with like-minded Trekkies. Or consider joining the team and lending your skills and passion to producing this show. Another way you can support the podcast is by joining our Patreon family. You see, Captains, as we already discussed, the production of this show is done entirely by volunteers, people who donate their time and their talents 
to the production of the show because they are passionate about Star Trek. From our audio editors all the way up to our hosts, nobody gets paid for the work they do. But with your support, we can continue to produce the quality content you've come to expect each and every week. As a matter of fact, we're working on bringing back our old prelude series of storytelling at the start of every show. So we're looking forward to that. And if you are too, then we ask you to consider becoming a patron over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. There you can support the show financially from a dollar a month to however much you can afford to help make sure that we can continue to produce the show each and every week. And we try to incentivize contributions by offering things like an extra show. We call it After Hours, where we discuss the latest science fiction news, of course, Star Trek, you name it, we'll discuss it. So if you're interested in becoming a part of the Patreon family, that website again is patreon.com forward slash priority one. And speaking of patrons, we'd like to welcome our latest supporter, Mark Jenkins. Thanks, Mark Jenkins. Welcome. Thank you, Mark. Now, let's find out what's been happening in the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. As we record this episode of our show, it's election night in the United States for several important political positions throughout the country. One contest, however, rises above the rest here in my home, the Garden State. The question, which is better, Star Wars or Star Trek? Well, a recent poll conducted by Rutgers Eagleton attempted to give us an answer. Led by Ashley Koning, assistant research professor and director of the Eagleton Center for Public Interest Polling at Rutgers University, New Brunswick, the school took to Twitter and Facebook to poll New Jerseyans on the issue. The results? Well, they were disappointing, and I'm embarrassed for my state. According to the poll, Star Trek lost by double digits against Star Wars with 41% for wars versus 16% for Trek among 18 to 34 year olds. No accounting for taste or education. But as the ages start to rise, the gaps begin to close. But that's not where this ends. New Jersey news media website NJ.com put together a debate featuring Democratic U.S. Senator Cory Booker and Representative Tom Malinowski to represent Team Star Trek, while Representative Andy Kim and Ashley Koenig, director of Rutgers Eagleton's poll, was on Team Star Wars. Now, the debate is a little over 24 minutes long, but it really is a delightfully lighthearted discussion about how both franchises can be applicable to current political topics. So I encourage you to check it out. Links, of course, will be in our show notes. I love Cory Booker's like opening statement that he makes. <laughs> He's just so like, because we're aspiring as a human race to be better. And then the other guy goes, yeah, but best villain ever. <laughs> so you're just like, right. wow, that's your comparison? <laughs> that's what you lead with? Cory Booker's all, we're so optimistic. And yeah, a human race that wants to attain to be better. And then this other guy, we got Vader. <laughs> and then on top of that, Cory Booker's like showing off his Star Trek action figures and his He's mug so and awesome. all that jazz. Like I'm he like, keeps like bringing it into the camera frame. <laughs> you know, at its core, what I what I like about this is that yes, this was all lighthearted and you know fun discussion and you know the polls. What do New Jerseyans know? Uh, I say that as a New Jerseyan, so no angry letters. <laughs> you won't get angry letters in Jersey. They'll just shout at you in the street and you know it. Fair enough. Fair enough. What I liked about it is that this is really the point of entertainment, right? Entertainment 
or rather what the point of good entertainment, right? It is it is designed or is supposed to be in some way, shape or form informative and educational, right? That's that's, you know, some of the best entertainment, some of the best theater film is a allegory for what's going on in the world. And so even in their lighthearted commentary and banter back and forth and jabs at each other, they really are talking about some important issues. You know, like they're, they're bringing up, OK, let's talk about foreign policy. Let's talk about, you know, uh, defense. Let's talk about the politics and social economic uh, relationship that that is always happening, right? And so it's it's just again fun and lighthearted, but at its core, really, what good science fiction is always going to be about, right, is a reflection of our current state. Yeah, I thought this was really fun. And look, let's go back to the the age old argument of you know, everyone has a place aboard a starship, but and everyone has a place aboard a, a star destroyer as well. And a place aboard the Death Star. I mean, when they're building that Death Star, let's talk about all the labors and contractors that were killed when they were building that second Death Star, okay? There's, there's a lot of dudes on contract, okay? And it didn't go well for them. Representative Kim was like, well, if we build it again, we won't have those flaws. We build won't have those better, flaws. Build it better is what we're taking on the policy. Build, build it, it better. Again. Well, just bigger. Build it better. It'll... Build back better. Right there. Bigger. There we go. There's, there's, there's a plug. Planet size mm-hmm. next time. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Can Star Trek IV compete and succeed? That's the question that Scott Mendelson of Forbes.com posed in an opinion piece about the franchise. You see, Dune has already been greenlit for its second installment due to release in October of 2023, but the announcement of a sequel before production has even begun isn't a first. Mendelssohn points to the Kelvin Timeline series of Trek movies as an example. It's been announced time and time again that we're going to get a fourth installment, but Mendelssohn argues that 2023 may end up hurting the franchise like it did in 2016. Back in 2016, Star Trek Beyond competed against the likes of Guardians of the Galaxy and Fast and the Furious. Come 2023, it's another round of competition with films like Fast and Furious 10, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Star Wars Rogue Squadron, Mission Impossible, and Shazam. So can Star Trek really take a foothold in box office battles? Is it fair to say that whenever we may possibly get Star Trek 4, that it is always going to compete against a brand new Fast and the Furious film. Is that fair to say? <laughs> Whenever it comes out. Doesn't matter. I mean, we're at Fast and Furious 10, right? Yeah, I mean, that franchise yeah. never ends. Now, is Fast and Furious 10, is that Mission to Moscow or Miami Beach? I'm not quite sure. Oh, it's Who about knows? family. Great. It's going to be about family, though. Nothing against those films, by the way. It's This, is, this does pose a good question, right? Because Star Trek Beyond, right, the third film, wasn't a terrible film. I think it, it's one of the best of the three. It hadn't even dawned on me that it, it did compete against some big names that year. So if 2023 is going to be so jam-packed in an already oversaturated science fiction market, why try to do another film, right? Star Trek lends itself best to television, right? And long format television. Should should Paramount Plus just put those dollars into producing and improving the television series rather than trying to have a box office foothold? I mean, also, let's not forget that 
theater's struggling, right? To getting people back into the into the cinema post COVID, when companies like HBO uh, Max and Disney are doing simultaneous releases, most people just want to stay home, right? Going to the theater is expensive. So, what do you think? Is it should should Paramount Plus really be spending the millions of dollars it takes to put on a big budget science fiction film? And maybe an explanation is they're reading the tea leaves a little bit when it comes to just Star Trek in the zeitgeist in general because we're, we've got a brand new entrant now in Star Trek Prodigy which is leading us into the new season of Star Trek Discovery. From there we get Picard. We, from there we get Strange New World. So we're building up to a whole lot of brand new Star Trek on our television screen. So there's this excitement. There's this fan base that's growing and growing and growing potentially with all of these new seasons and new series. So maybe they're banking on the fan base growing to a point where October 2023 is a great spot to go, let's get the new fan base that we've developed as well as the old fan base who uh, enjoy seeing Star Trek on a big screen and bring them together and hopefully we're at a point where we can all go to the cinema and that's the right time in terms of the overall brand. It's all building to that and that's a great point to have something on a cinema screen as opposed to a television screen. What do you guys think? I think they're always trying to maximize their footprint, you know, for the franchise. So I don't think, you know, uh, movies are ever off the table, but I don't know that they should worry so much about competing because like what you said, Elio, like I didn't notice that Star Trek Beyond was competing against other stuff, you know, at the time. But then as a fan, you know, you're going to go see it. But would that even appeal to a wider audience, I guess, is the question. So maybe they want to build on the momentum of the new shows. Um, because it's not so much the wired-on fans, the rusted-on fans that we are. We, we, let's be honest. If and when a new Star Trek movie comes out, we're going to go and see it. And then if there's a brand new Guardians of the Galaxy movie, you know what? I'm probably going to go and see mm-hmm. that too. Um, we're going to go and see that. We're not the fan base they're trying to win over. It's the bringing newer fans and the people who go, oh, okay, well, I just saw this debate and it had Star Wars versus Star Trek and I've just watched this video that's turned up in my feed and I, that speaker had me convinced I'm going to go and watch this new Star Trek movie. You know, that could be the thing that gets a person over the line to bring in new people and get those cheeks in the seat. I think that what Star Trek needs to do, what Paramount Plus needs to do with Star Trek is a reverse Marvel where the Marvel franchise began with the cinematic universe, right? All the way back from Spider-Man to Iron Man and whatnot. And then from that success now has the Loki series, WandaVision, uh, the What If series. I think Star Trek can put itself on a trajectory that starts in the small screen via streaming service to then build the audience that then can do what they did with TNG, right? A feature film because it was established. And now that crew that people have fallen in love with will now, you know, now has that feature film. So the 150 million, 170 million dollars that go into producing a a blockbuster sci-fi summer flick, I think could be better allocated to creating and emulating what Marvel's doing. That What If series on Marvel blew my mind in its execution. Blew my mind. Again, I, I can't stress this enough. I don't think I've ever picked up a single Marvel comic in my life. I think I tried starting oh. reading Civil War. I'm, qu- and I'm I never questioning our friendship now. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. 
Go on. Contrarily, I have read a lot of DC comics, right? I'm a DC fan. I'm a DC fan. And yet, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I mean, has me. I mean, I am I, I am assimilated by it. I really am. That aside, though, let's just look at What If. What If was a, a, a short-form stories that were not interconnected at first and ended the season spectacularly. I mean, from the animation style to the colors, to the voice acting, to the story, I was completely taken into this universe. So I would love, for example, short treks, right? Let's go, let's start doing the short treks again, but let's have a plan. Right. Let's let's think 10 steps ahead than being reactionary and Paramount. I've said this time and again over the years, Paramount and and what was Viacom CBS and before that just CBS always seemed to be reactionary with Star Trek. Oh, Star Wars is doing it. All right. Well, now we got to do do this with Star Trek. Yes. Be reactionary now, but let's have some foresight. Let's say, okay, Marvel's doing this. All right. How can we improve on it instead of just carbon copy? What if could work? so well in the Star Trek multiverse, right? Star Trek is now a multiverse, really. It really just is what boils down to it, right? If they're going to emulate Marvel, do it, but think ahead. Don't be reactionary. Plan a year from now. Plan two years from now. Plan three years from now. Plan 10 years from now and have that built up. That's where I want those that money to go to instead of a of a fourth Kelvin film. That just won't, won't do well in the box office. It won't. Not if it's competing against Star Wars. Yeah, so we, we have a, a wealth of Star Trek live action TV series in the world right now, either in production or, or heading towards uh, be actually being on our screens. So I'm going to go back way back into the Priority One podcast archives and say, suggest, pull out a suggestion from a previous host. And there's the possibility there with all of the live action TV series and the potential for Star Trek 4 to build up to a Star Trek Avengers style film bring it all together temporal war it's the it's the it's the temporal wars bring it all together all the timelines all the multiverses it's the perfect it's there it's just sitting there i don't mind some kind of a temporal thing to fix the you know the idea that we're all that they're all in a different multiverse i don't necessarily mind that but i don't i don't need you know we have to bring picard we have to bring janeway we have to bring mariner together i don't i don't necessarily i don't think star trek in its current form lends itself necessarily to that like i just i want to see more foresight right i want to see more foresight instead of it feeling like it's an episode to episode kind of thing i would love to see more foresight with the way they handle the star trek franchise so speaking about star trek films in a recent interview alex kurtzman and ceo of paramount brian robbins spoke about prodigy and the future of trek including the films robbins who continues to serve as president of Nickelodeon believes Prodigy is a perfect fit with Paramount Plus's current Nickelodeon content and Kurtzman's other Star Trek content. In fact, Robbins enjoyed Prodigy so much, he said that he'd wish they had released it in theaters as a full-length animated film. Robbins and Kurtzman say they are already developing projects that may include Prodigy merchandising, an animated feature film, as well as other live-action features. Robbins said, quote, We don't know enough yet. We're working on several fronts and obviously Alex is the key for the franchise on Paramount+. Plus. 
JJ has been the keeper of the franchise on the film side. We hope that as a company that we do what's right for the franchise altogether, end quote. When pressed for more specific details on said live action film, Robin said, quote, there's a lot going on and I'm just going to leave it at that, end quote. But even with all that, he and Kurtzman go on to say that they're planning out the next decade of the franchise. So that may answer your question, Elio, that they are trying to plan farther out. I mean, we don't know what that is, but... <laughs> I I certainly hope so. Merchandising. Prodigy the t-shirt. Prodigy the cup. Prodigy the drink bottle. Merchandising. You know, that whole interview is really interesting because it's very much about market share and co-viewing, which is now some buzzword. I'm like, you mean where everybody in the family watches together? Now you got to call that co-viewing? Like, because now everybody watches stuff on their own so much that you don't even consider watching together as a thing anymore. Yeah, it's got a name now. Someone brought it up at the Blue Sky session. Uh, I forget who was the energy captain, but uh, someone's, you know, thrown some spin behind it. And uh, yeah, that's where we came up with co-viewing, you know. It's funny you bring up merchandising, Roscoe, because we're about to go into our quick roundup of headlines that we didn't discuss, but might interest you. And one of them is that Bandai UK has been licensed to deliver Star Trek toys and collectibles for Europe and Mexico in Classic Trek and uh, for Prodigy. So we'll be getting, you know, some Smurf Gak. Remember Gak and Nickelodeon? Yes. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be Murph. just in a <laughs> container and they're going to call it Murph. And then you can pour it out. And <laughs> I already it want and it. Collapse again. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yes, I want that. Absolutely. I want Murph on my desk. <laughs> In other headlines, industry trade paper Production Weekly is reporting that Star Trek Strange New Worlds has already been renewed for a second season and will begin production in February of 2022. Also, Star Trek Discovery was shown some love at the 46th Annual Saturn Awards. The show won Best Science Fiction Television Series and Doug Jones won for Best Supporting Actor in a Television Series. For a full list of all the award winners, check out our show notes. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to check out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Welcome aboard, Captain. Congratulations. High score. Star Trek Online is continuing to roll out Tier 6 updates to Starships, going back to refresh and upgrade some of the classics of the game. This week it was announced two Starships are coming your way in a new Zen Store bundle called the Agile Classics. The bundle contains the new Equinox and Da Vinci classes, which are Tier 6 updates to the Nova and Sabre classes, respectively. For 6,000 Zen, you'll receive the two Starships, as well as two fleet modules and two experimental ship upgrades. The Equinox Pilot Scout departs from the ship's origins as a science vessel in name only. It sports five science console slots and a 4-2 weapon layout. It also has a commander science slash pilot specialist bridge officer seat and can equip dual cannon. The universal console nucleogenic ignition creates a radiation-like energy that is harmful to that ship's connected 
EPS conduits, damaging nearby foes and boosting hull and shields for nearby allies. The Starship Trait, Synthetic Good Fortune, boosts global critical hit chance along with increases to Starship Control Expertise. This Starship Trait also provides a passive boost to travel speed in sector space. The Da Vinci is a compact starship with a 4-3 weapon layout. It's classed as an escort, but is also a miracle worker starship sporting a commander tactical miracle worker specialist bridge officer seat. The experimental weapon on the Da Vinci is a Gatling emitter, which spins up to target a continuous fire on an enemy ship until it's destroyed or can no longer be targeted. The ship may be one to consider if you're a fan of beam overload with the new starship trait, Energy Overdrive. Activating beam overload, fire at will, or exceed rated limits will increase beam weapon damage, speed, and turn rate for 10 seconds. At close range, a 50% beam weapon damage bonus can be achieved, but then at long range, this trait still gives a 10% bonus. The Universal Console delves deep into beta canon, drawing inspiration from the Star Trek Destiny novels. In the novel Lost Souls, the USS Da Vinci, a Saber-class starship crewed by the Starfleet Corps of Engineers, saves the planet Troyes from a Borg invasion by making the planet disappear. The Universal Console Troyes Protocol causes the starship to shunt additional power to weapon systems before activating a cloak-like effect with a quick boost of hull and shield regeneration. Very cool. I really like the look of both of these ships. The Saber is one that I will usually use if I have a new tactical captain that I'm slowly building up because it's good fun. It's nice and it's compact. It's got lots of variations as well that are a little bit different from your usual Starfleet style ship. But it looks, the new tier six version really looks like a Nintendo 64 controller. That is my only, <laughs> that is my only takeaway from this. I, I keep looking at the ship and I like it, but it looks like a Nintendo 64 controller. Well, I mean, I love new ships and anything that is small and quick and has some new abilities, a miracle worker escort style ship. Yeah, I want to try that. You know, Star Trek is unique in that ships are characters, right? They take on a persona, right? And they are and they are almost as important as any of the crew. Star Trek Online does a phenomenal job of bringing those ships to life, right? Of and introducing new ones and reimagining them and reconfiguring them. But there have been a lot of ships on sale. A lot. And when was the last content storyline mission that was released? When was that? Before the summer event? Or was right. it? It's been a while. It's been a long while. And then on top of that, we also now just have a flash sale happening, which will be over by the time the show airs to the public, for 30% uh, off of research and development packs and duty officer packs. I'm starting to wonder if Star Trek Online didn't plan for what was going to happen after 10 years. Like... Did they did they think? Gee, I don't know that this MMO is how it would because I mean for an MMO to last ten years is is there are few that can say that. And I was you know looking at tweets you know from from community leaders you know people who are active in the Star Trek Online community who are feeling a little you know burned out. 
by the sale of ships and, you know, the updates of ships that you end up having to purchase and R&D packs and ship, 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 ships, but very little new content to play those ships with, you know. To be fair, we did get some new content recently with the new Mirror storyline with Admiral Lita taking on us, uh, us on an adventure uh, with the um, little bots. That's right. Yep, that, that's right. His name escapes oh, yeah. right. So we did get that quite recently. So that was two months ago. Exocomps. Right. With the Exocomps. Exo- don't know why that, that was two months. Yeah, that was that was two months ago. You know, I was reading an interesting article about um, World of Warcraft. Uh, they were interviewing, I think, one of the executive producers, you know, and they were, of course, addressing a lot of the uh, scandal, right? And a lot of the need for Blizzard and Activision to step up, right, and fix the atrocities that it's done to its team members especially women. Uh, and in that conversation, of course, that we're talking about the game itself, that there's a new patch coming out in World of Warcraft. And now World of Warcraft is 17 years old, right? 17-year-old game. It, in that conversation, like I was saying, with respect to the game itself, you know, one of the questions was, how do you, you know, how do you balance keeping it fresh and new with it collapsing under its own weight because of, of all the content? And I know it's a difficult... I can only imagine how hard it is to balance a weight of a game of game mechanics with keeping things fresh and new. I miss the story arc days of of Stowe. I would love to be able to kind of come in once a month and play a new mission. And I get, you know, the argument's going to be, well, we just got a TFO. A TFO is a raid. It's a dungeon, right? It's it's not necessarily a part of the story. And I, you know, I I just I wish that the flash sales and the ship of the sale of ships were balanced with continuing the story, telling an arc, you know. And the argument is as well, the new episodes that they are bringing out are feature episodes every time. So they have a lot of detail, they have a lot of depth, and they are whole adventures in themselves, and because they are so much larger, they take a lot more time to bring together. So that's that's certainly why we've seen a lengthening in the period between story missions. LMG in the chat makes a very good point to say that there is a lack of new non-federation ship as well. We did get uh, some Well, they don't sell. We've, oh, we've had that conversation but, yeah. time and time and time again. Mm. They don't sell. Alien ships do not sell. They do not put the, the time and effort into creating Klingon or alien ships because... Federation sells, baby. Capitalism. I, don't, I buy it. I buy the Klingon and Romulan ship and Jemadar. I buy all the ships, though. But, you know, the argument that the, these new missions are bigger and better and, you know, more flashy, I don't, you know, we have this on paper. We've done this. We've had this conversation on a spreadsheet, right? Even bef- even when, the, like, the, the DS9 arc, the Dominion arc, and, and those were all done fantastically with great voice work, and there was a great cadence to the release of these missions and i i i miss those days and let's stop putting ships in r&d packs oh look i i agree with you Vic- victory is life was one of the best expansions in the game it was something that really got just sucked me in fully not just into the gameplay but into the story as well and it was mostly uh, a lot of it had to do with the voice cast and working so hard on bringing back so many of the cast from deep space nine it sucked me in the it was just 
across the Delta Quadrant. Right. Absolutely <laughs> magnificent. But that's hard to maintain and took a long time to put together. Yeah, it was good. I mean, Quark's Lucky Seven is my favorite <laughs> mission to play. You know, you get stuff like that. Yeah, it would be nice if there was more stuff like that. But, you know, I know limited budget, limited time. So Well, announced earlier today, players are getting a much appreciated quality of life upgrade. Your captains and bridge officers now have a new environmental suit slot in their inventory. Now, this is the only place EV suits can be equipped, so if your character was wearing an EV suit as their main armor, it has been automatically unequipped and placed in your inventory. Just place the suit in the new spot to have access to it. You'll be able to switch between your standard armor and the EV suit at any time, choosing which stats, passives, set bonuses, and other effects you use. Also, your EV suit automatically equips itself when you enter a hostile environment. If you do not have an EV suit equipped, then a default one will activate. However, this default suit has no stats, so you will likely wish to equip a new suit in the new slot. While you're in a hazardous area, you will be unable to manually deactivate the EV suit, but now you will also be able to activate and deactivate the lights on your suit as well. <laughs> awesome. This is exciting. I hope this means they're going to specialize more inventory areas. Like maybe we could get a pets area if you can have an EV suit area. <laughs> it's awesome. It's great. It's really clever. Makes sense. And it's one less thing I have to click and open the inventory and do that. You can just set up your character and go play the game. Well, it's not very clear when how to actually equip an EV suit in the first place. So I'm really glad they've done this because when I started playing, I'm like, why do I keep dying on New Cara? <laughs> you know, like, how do I turn this thing on? Mm-hmm. Why do so I keep catching I, fire? Come on. I know. I'm like, why well, just dying? I have to put a suit on. It doesn't work. <laughs> so I think a lot of people have that problem too. So this solves solves that problem. That wraps up gaming news this week. Now we welcome Star Trek Discovery's Noah Averbach Katz onto the show. Security clearance level three or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization, Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. Hello, <laughs> Captains, and welcome <laughs> to the live broadcast recording of a special uh, event that we're having here this Saturday. Uh, we have a very special guest with us. Someone who you may or may not recognize because they were behind a lot of makeup in Discovery. But if you're a gamer in Star Trek Online, you certainly know Noah Averbach-Katz. What's up, everybody? How's it going? Excited to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank Thanks you. for being here. I'm oh, so my glad, pleasure. I'm so glad that we were able to uh, catch up at uh, the New Jersey Sci-Fi Convention. Yes, and that was a good convention. It was very sweet. I had a great time there. Yeah. Was that your first convention? No, that was my third convention. My first convention was Vegas. So that was like I really got thrown in on the deep end. Yeah. For for Vegas. Had you ever been to Vegas before? The Vegas convention before? No, no. That was my first time doing Vegas. Vegas is a it lot. Was, it was <laughs> definitely a lot. I had a great time but it was, you know, it was funny because I was like sort of in fan mode and I was constantly like waving at people and coming up to people and, and at first nobody knew who I was but then after 
after a panel, everybody knew who I was, and they were like, whenever I would talk to anybody, they'd be like, go sit at your table. Like, what are you doing? You're you're, <laughs> you're breaking my fiction. Leave me alone. It was really funny. It was great. I had I had it just a fantastic time. And then we did Dragon Con, which obviously isn't a Star Trek convention, but had a great great Star Trek uh, uh, friends there, which was awesome. And then um uh and then that was my third. And then in a week or two, I'll be heading out to London for my first international convention, which I'm nice. very excited oh. about. Nice. Destination cool. London, right? Destination... Destination London. Absolutely. I'm super, nice. super pumped. Yeah. Not, yeah, I've been seeing that uh, they've been announcing their guests, and, and I saw that you were listed there. Um, you said it's your fir- your first international convention. What are you, what are you, you know, excited to do while you're there? Well, you know, we actually, like, I actually feel like a third of the people who um, I interact with and stream or on the internet or whatever are international and like UK based so like there's Mm -hmm. a ton of people who I'm really excited to meet in person out there people who have sent me all sorts of goodies over the times Uh, so I'm just super excited and Mary and I are also going to leave a little early and have a European vacation so there's that as well Nice. Oh, I've nice. never actually been to Europe before, so this is my first oh. uh, my first time. So I'm very excited. Oh, very nice. Well, I'm excited for you. That sounds like an awesome little adventure. Yes, definitely, definitely. Now, you, all right. So let me ask you this: Now that you've been, you know, you mentioned a little bit about engaging with fans internationally. You know, it, you've you were, you've been thrust into this, right? As a as a you know new actor in Star <laughs> thrust. Trek. Thrust. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Like I didn't insert myself <laughs> yeah. completely. Yeah. Somebody's behind me pushing me forward yeah totally but tell us a little bit about that you know being now first you were a fan in the community yes right? well first even you, were... you know even my mom is yelling uh uh i was yelling at me in the chat saying that my first convention <laughs> was not star trek las vegas it was sacramento 1998 so sorry uh... mom uh, so yeah you know i i, I know his mom I grew up as a Star Trek fan, um, you know, via my mother. She she didn't really give me much choice, which was fine. Uh, it worked out for me in the end. Um, and yeah, I grew up going to Star Trek conventions. You know, the last convention I went to before I was on the show was Chicago 2012. Um, got a picture with me and my family and Patrick Stewart. Uh, so, you know, it was just like full on fan, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's boxes of Star Trek memorabilia sort of collecting mold at random places in my house. It's out on the... I mean, now it makes a little bit more sense that it's out because a lot of it can be Mary-themed or me-themed, so it sort of fits with the Mary and me theme of our house anyway. But before, it was just like there would be like, hey, there's an action figure of Data just on the mantle here. Uh, oh, man. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. It's very much like a, was is a Star Trek household, definitely. I absolutely love that your mom's in the chat, and I just... Why don't you just... You know what? Do me a favor. Send her the link. I want to interview her thanks noah it's been fun (laughs) (laughs) listen i would love listen i would love for my mom to start doing interviews but it will be so difficult because they'll all want to talk about you know they'll talk about me and then somebody will be like well tell me a little bit about yourself rochelle and she'd be like this interview's over i'm done we're only talking about my son Oh, that's awesome. Hey, Noah's mom in the chat. Thanks for joining Indeed, us. Indeed, thank you for joining us. So, all right, so you you were cast in Star Trek Discovery, and now you are no longer, you know, a, just a fan. You are now canon, you know? I guess so. You know, it still feels pretty weird. I really don't 
feel like I'm on the like cast side of the table, really, in my hmm. real in like in my head. I definitely feel more of like a fan who like was allowed to be backstage as opposed to like, yeah, you know, this is what I do. So even technically, I, I mean, I am definitely canon, which is exciting. That's like the most exciting <laughs> part of it is that I am canon. Uh, but it still feels like I am a fan who's like been allowed behind the curtain a little bit. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Which is awesome. So when you're getting, I want to ask so many questions sure. about all of this, but um, when you're, you know, you've got the role and you're getting ready, did you rely on any specific Andorian? Did you do any, what, did you do any research? Was there a specific inspiration for you? Yes. The only other Andorian, which would be Shran at the time. <laughs> you know, Andorians are hot now. Like every new show, I think somebody realized like, oh, we have like this, this is like a blank slate, but is super recognizable. So every new show's got Andorian. But back in my day in 2020 uh, <laughs> or 2019, like there weren't really any other Andorians besides Shran. But, you know, I grew up watching Enterprise. That was the first show that was out that I watched week to week. Um, so I was already, I was already pretty familiar very familiar with the show. Um, and so I just went back and I watched all those Shran episodes and basically tried to hope that that his energy would sort of infuse whatever character I was going to play on the show. Because mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, I didn't really know a lot about what was going to happen. You know, I would sort of learn script to script who this guy was and what was going to happen. And um, and yeah, you know, I didn't even know he was an Adorian until I did the first makeup test. So I was right. a lot of catch up. But thankfully, it wasn't like, oh, you know, you're playing a Vulcan, like, go do your research, you know, it was right. like, oh, this is this is perfect. You know, this is just like, I can really focus in on the sort of one one place where all the information is and and be be ready in time for shooting, you know? Now, I want to get a little bit, you know, into the actor studio with you. Um, you studied at <laughs> Juilliard. And I did, yes. Now, I was listening to your interview with uh, Mission Log, right? John Champion. Uh-huh, uh, sure. Mission Log. And I remember you talking a little bit about, you know, walking onto the set, not only the makeup, you know, full makeup, but, uh -huh. you know, explosions and whatnot. And I would imagine that uh, even Juilliard doesn't necessarily have a soundstage where you get to practice pyrotechnics. <laughs> so, you know, as as a uh, a craftsperson in the art, you know, is it, is it you end up learning as you go? Is that what ends up happening? Or do you get any training whatsoever? I mean, I know there's, you know, combat, stage combat, some stunt work, but, you know, when I you're would say a that Juilliard did uh, absolutely zero to prepare me for something like this. <laughs> <laughs> they get zero percent of the credit. I'm getting them, giving them absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like it's such a different experience from like anything else you've done because it is just like a brand new acting experience, you know, like even stuff where you do like mask work, like mm -hmm. it's not relevant. You know what I mean? Because you're not like sort of channeling an idea. You're right. trying to figure out how a large, it, it's closer to puppetry in a way where you're like trying to figure out how to make this large piece of rubber work on your face. And so, you know, in terms of like, and, and then, you know, you 
also have to make it match with the character. So, you know, for like a Klingon, it's uh, it makes more sense to have like big exaggerated expressions and try and manipulate the mask a little bit more. But for someone like Doug playing Saru or for me, who has like more of an understated character, uh, it can it's a different challenge, you know, where you have to figure out a way to tell the emotional journey of this character when your face isn't going to reveal the same nuances that mm-hmm. a uh, an open face, even just having the mouth open like they do uh, in the previous generation of masks or, or prosthetics makes a huge difference because you can do so much with that. Mm-hmm. So for me, the kind of journey was putting on the mask. Well, it was first reaching out to Kenneth Mitchell, Mary Chifo and Doug and sort of just like sort of get, I, I, I think they're the kind of three masters of Trek masks right now you know they're really really talented at it and really strong performers underneath the mask and so, so I, this was your first time with that much prosthesis on right this was your oh, first gig with absolutely that many, you know yeah, and like yeah. you put you you wear weird stuff and you put yeah. stuff on but there's just no other job outside of tv that is going to do that because it's super expensive you know right, it right. just take it takes a huge amount of just very labor intensive yeah. from designing to fabricating to painting to application all that stuff so yeah this was my first time doing any kind of mass work so i kind of got a consensus of what to expect from those three mm-hmm. and then uh i put on the mask and i looked in the mirror and i was like oh shit this is bad <laughs> news i don't know what what the hell i'm doing oh, really? uh, <laughs> yeah and so I was like, what, what was it about it? Was it that it was stiff? Like you, you could not move the muscles? Like what was it? Right. Well, I, you really have to think of that mask not as like a latex layer over your face, but like another face on top right. of your face. It does not respond to movements of your face. It's not mm-hmm. like you're sort of manipulating something from behind. Right. It's like there is a solid piece of rubber on top of your face. Uh, so if you want to manipulate it, you're going to have to do an exaggerated motion underneath right. the mask to make some sort of manipulation on the front, right. which is not necessarily going to line up with you know the scene, right? So if right. you're like sort of surprised, you would then have to do a really big surprise to like manipulate the physical mask. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, what I noticed with this mask in particular is that those those sort of manipulations, like a really physical manipulation on a character who is a little bit more internal it really reveals the mask it makes it look fake it makes it look like it's bending unnaturally it like sort of creases in a way that sort of you really start to see that it is unnatural Hmm. so i sort of wanted to you know once i was sort of playing with it and was like you know these big faces that i'm sort of pulling to puppet the mask are making this mask look really fake so i was like well that means i'm just kind of absolutely screwed so uh, let's just go to set and see what happens and i got to set and i w- my first episode i spent like basically that whole time with david ajala who's just a really really talented actor and a guy who thinks a lot about acting and uh he was doing he was just like really doing very little and then i would go watch playback and it was just like really popping and he has these really large expressive eyes uh and i thought well what if i just like copy david because he's (laughs) really good and i kind of like what he's doing so i tried to um 
tell as much of a story or emotional journey through the character's eyes because those were the 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 things that I could still kind of manipulate a little bit. I still had like the creases around my eyelids were open, mm-hmm. and although I was wearing contacts, like the actual eyes were were around. And what I found with that was that actually because it was such a, a an interesting and textured mask, is that if I just sort of focused on the emotion of the character and telling that story through this little small thing that the mask was had so much uh, personality mm-hmm. that as an audience member you could sort of just project the story of the face onto the face you were seeing you didn't actually need it to move too much mm-hmm. and then sort of gather the emotion underneath it from these smaller things so that was sort of how I wound up approaching it as as an actor yeah. um, just kind of trying to uh, figure out a way to to tell that to tell that story yeah that's yeah. that was sort of my approach well it was an excellent performance seriously I mean it was uh, you did fantastic and it was sad to see you go after just three episodes. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. We just have to convince Star Trek Online to get you in and you can voice. I'm in. Do some voice. Somewhere. I'm in, yeah. <laughs> Somebody with antenna, hopefully. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, you had, had you been on set before with Mary? Oh, yeah. Many, 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 many times. So yeah. talk to me about that first time. Like, did you sneak onto the set and sit on the bridge while nobody was looking beforehand? Mm. Or did that come after you were cast and had access to the stage? No, uh, early on, I would take every opportunity to go on set that I could. So I was on set tons and tons of time. But, uh, you know, if you've ever, like, been on a TV set, it's exciting for, like, the first 10 minutes, and then it's really boring. So, like, you know, it's like, (laughs) they'll say, like, one word, and then people will sort of, like, be moving some equipment, and you're just sort of sitting there, and blah, 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 you know? So, once I, basically, like, after 10 minutes of being excited, then I started getting up and walking around. And once I sort of figured out, like, where I could and couldn't go, because the doors were Lock, then it was just like free reign. I was just walking around set all the time, going to every set on my own, just sort of poking at stuff, seeing what moved, seeing what was from Ikea, seeing what was like fabricated. <laughs> and these sets are so big, you know, that you can really walk through the halls of Discovery and like legitimately get lost. Yeah. Uh, so it it actually like took a while for me to even make a mental map of like how to make sure that I didn't take a left turn and just wind up in the shot. So uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, with COVID last year, it was like a pretty lockdown set, so I didn't get to go to set, which was like one of one of the many many bummers of last year was not getting to hang out on set because it's just such a fun experience. And and there's some new ones, you know, like book set was this amazing wood panel chip, which I was so lucky to get to spend time on, and I haven't really got to spend a huge amount of time on the um i don't remember what they're called they're calling like the space station like the new federation space station essentially they were like just fabricating that or we're finishing fabricating that as i was sort of on set so i just got to peek in but maybe maybe next year i'll get to start uh poking around again now what about the experience working with uh jonathan frakes (laughs) it was awesome you know i was very happy that uh i was wearing a mask so he couldn't see me blush uh and like sort of be be absolutely nervous i was Screaming so on the inside. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, he's just like, he's great, man. You know, he's a really talented director, which mm-hmm. I, I don't think people always like totally realize, you know. And when he's on that set, he just sort of has so much inherent authority right. in a good way, you know, that people are just so excited to work for him. You know,
know, and right. he also just has a great energy. So the mood is always amazing. Everybody feels excited and and moving forward. And he's also a great actor's director. You know, he really knows how to craft a scene, both like shot and scheduling wise, which is really important that you're not sort of like hung up doing the same thing a million times, but yeah. also how to like get the best performance out of um, out of his actors, which is which is super fun. You know, it was it was just a really really cool thing to get to work with him on two episodes you know for for getting to be on the show for such a short amount of time having that much time with jonathan frakes was just like so cool you know yeah you know i it's it's interesting you mentioned how he's an actor's uh an actor's director because i was wondering that right he had so much experience working in front of the camera for star trek then you know started developing his directorial chops and you know some directors don't know how to work with actors necessarily sure. yeah it, you know he he when he's on stage at a convention he's very much the performer yes and and so behind the scenes is he it, you know he, there seems to be clips where he's you know fooling around but is he more kind of no nonsense let's focus let's get it no, done no no i think i think he's singing he's goofing off he's having a fun time but i also think like that is what people like so much you know what i mean right, it keeps right, it light right. it keeps it fun it keeps it happy and like i think part of the thing of of being an actor's director is having that really light touch and trusting that the actors that you're with are talented and can do the job and just steering them you know as opposed to like really coming down and that you know a weird methody like you're dying you know die for your art or whatever i think he's just really good about directing them in a way that will tell the best story you know without without sort of getting in their way to do their jobs he is just he's just really good at being clear about here's what I think you should be aiming for in this scene. You're doing an awesome job. We're having fun. Like, get in there and have some fun, too. Yeah, yeah. Actually, speaking about that uh, as well, with the character of Rin, were there any moments that, you know, you kind of had a bit of a struggle figuring out how to perform, how to, you know, convey the the, the scene in one way, shape, or form? Mm, I think the only struggles that I had, you know, he was pretty, in a good way, very straightforward. You know, he wasn't sort of like, it was, it was pretty straightforward what he was thinking thinking what he was doing so from that direction it wasn't too much every all the challenges were either you know making sure that what was straightforward was straightforwardly conveyed from behind that mask mm -hmm. or was dealing with with grudge who was not straightforward and was a terror <laughs> and a oh, that was those were my challenges it was never it was it was things outside of me not inside of me uh, so it is true don't work with children or pets on a hundred percent yeah it was it sucked. It was yeah, terrible. your your joke oh, your no. joke about Grudge being above you in the casting when you were telling oh, John yeah. that was, that was... <laughs> yeah that yeah yeah that that definitely I don't know maybe maybe part of my whole Grudge shtick is uh, is is jealousy that's probably true. <laughs> Oh man! Oh, uh, I meant to ask too. Have you watched Prodigy already? Now that it premiered, I haven't watched Prodigy yet. Uh, everyone seems to really like it, though. Yeah, it's fun. It's definitely. I really did enjoy it. It's it's good. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I find it challenging to keep up with basically anything. So. <laughs> So I haven't seen it yet, but I'll watch it at some point for sure. So now you meant, you know, growing up, you said that, you know, your mom had taken you to uh, conventions and whatnot. So have you watched every Star Trek Under the Sun or do you still uh, have a few things left over to watch? I definitely haven't seen every episode of every Star Trek. Uh, there's definitely some, you know, I feel like now I've, uh, I definitely have found like some, some blank spots, you know? So 
like like some of the older movies I don't really know as well as I think I do and stuff, but I have enough of knowledge to like make sense of just about every kind of like deep cut meme, which I feel like is is good enough. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But Mary and I were doing a rewatch of uh Deep Space Nine, because that was a series that I, I realized like I actually didn't know as well as I probably should, and, and it's so good. that We, we got about to uh, season five before we started watching Ink Masters instead. <laughs> uh, but that, that's been really, that's been a really, really fun uh, series, and yeah, like, I feel like, uh, you know, so much of, so much of what I watched, I was a kid, you know, so like, I either, I, I just feel like I, I view it all so differently now, and mm-hmm. stuff that I thought I knew, I actually, like, really didn't know as well, like, I feel like so much of Voyager is actually now kind of like a blank spot, even though I've watched a ton of it, mm-hmm. so... I feel that way too, because then you'll watch an, a series, and then you're like, you forget all about the other things that happen. Exactly. <laughs> so, so I definitely don't know all of it, but I know quite a bit of it, which is good. So I want to know. Um, so when you were told that you got a part of Rin, like, I what was your reaction, your family's reaction? I'm sure you've told this in interviews. And well, I you feel know, like it's I actually funny it, because, but... like, I don't really remember my reaction for getting the part, and and part of it was like. I the whole audition process happened super fast. I like flew back to New York from Toronto in order to uh, like audition. So it all happened super, super fast. And then even after I got the part, I really didn't know if like what it was going to be like if it was going to be like three lines or a character, you know, it was still all like very much unclear to me. So I didn't really like get too excited. I didn't want to sort of overhype myself, you know. So, so you were having to go back to New York from Toronto. Uh, wh- why? Like, I, were you? I don't know. Were you at CBS? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I was in Toronto uh, with Mary, and casting was at the CBS studios in. Uh, and back in New York. In New York, yeah. That was wow. It just kind of went where I was told, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when it comes to an opportunity like that, you're like, oh, I'll go wherever. Yeah, ex- I mean, ex- exactly. I definitely didn't uh, didn't didn't complain about it. I was more than happy. Were you able to take away any um, souvenirs? souvenirs? Yeah. <laughs> I uh, grabbed. So in the first episode, it's like this like planet where they have like all it's like a salvage planet Mm -hmm. and some poor prop person spent i mean it must have been just like days doing all this prop work like they distressed so many uh so many com badges and random little knickknacks there was like a guitar hero guitar in there it was just like so much (laughs) random stuff it was great it was great like nobody ever saw for sure a nintendo Um, 64 controller exactly it was it truly felt like it was a salvage planet but it was salvaging like 1997 (laughs) it was awesome um that's great but i did uh repatriate like a a a couple of distressed ds9 era communicators which 
live ah, as a magnet cool. on my fridge. Nice. Which awesome. is which I which are very cool. You know, uh, Noah, I want to ask you a little bit about some of your av- advocacy work. A few months ago, you were advocating for you know raising funds for insulin and you know making sure that we can try to continue to lower the cost of insulin. Talk to us, talk to us a little bit about that. And you know, um... yeah, you know, I I am I work with an organization called T1 International, which um, essentially works to empower and mobilize individual communities to advocate. So they're not really like a lobbyist group or an advocacy group on whole, they help uh, individuals take action, which I, I really like. And they also don't take any pharmaceutical money, which has been, you know, which is not the case for a lot of type 1 diabetes advocacy organizations, uh, which makes it impossible for them to advocate for lowering in- insulin crisis because they're insulin uh, prices because they're taking money from the pharmaceutical companies that want those prices to stay high. So right. it's been really awesome to get to work with them. And uh, yeah, you know, I've, I've got some things, maybe some like creative endeavors on the horizon. Nothing, you know, nothing solid now, but so hopefully something soon, which might sort of tie into that or something like that. So it, it's been um, it's been great. And, you know, the Star Trek community has really showed up and we've raised a ton of money for them, uh, especially for just like a really bootstraps organization that doesn't have a super flush cash flow coming from places where you don't want it. Yeah. Uh, it, it makes it uh, makes a huge difference for them. So uh, it, it's just been awesome the way that the communities really showed up for that. And, and I'm looking forward to more as well. And if people want to donate and, and support uh, the cause, where can they go? If you want to learn more about what T1 International does, you can go to t1international.com. And, you know, if you're sort of interested in participating in another sort of themed fundraiser or, or, or raffle or something like that, just keep an eye out on my Twitter or my twitch because um whenever something comes up i'll definitely spam you about it and you'll know awesome, awesome. yeah very cool very cool well thanks for your work on that we saw that uh you were raising funds a few months ago and uh, and continue to advocate so thank you very much yeah yeah my pleasure now we were talking a little bit uh cat had asked you um do you do much other gaming anything like that and i figured yeah you know i don't do a ton um Obviously, like I have D and D stuff, so that was like sort of my last year of like what my gaming life was. Um, just playing a lot of D and D. A lot of people, yeah, it's a good time to exactly. learn. Exactly, you got a group and it's fun. Yeah, so I've had a ton of fun doing that, but not a not a ton uh, of other games. I'm saying I like I've been playing um, uh, uh, Metroid Dread, which I suck at. I'm so bad at. I'm tw- I'm terrible at like super fast. <laughs> Twitch games, you know, where you like really have to be on top of it. Mm-hmm. I'm just awful. Uh, but but I I'm, I I don't mind like um, tactical games, you know, grid based combat games. Those are always fun. Is Star Trek Online your first MMO? Yeah, I've definitely never played an MMO before. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. Now was oh, it because yeah. you know a, was Star Trek the Star Trek franchise that was your you know like the oh I got to try this out? Yeah, definitely. You know, when I started like streaming on Twitch, I wanted to sort of just just kind of play a bunch of different Star Trek games you know going back to some of the older ones like good old like the good old games put out like mm-hmm. Elite Forces and stuff like that and I just sort of I started with Star Trek Online and then bounced around a little bit and came back to it and just been really enjoying it so you know that's sort of been the the main thing that I've been playing or it's sort of the mainstay and then 
sort of dancing around other Star Trek games as well. So definitely, you know, streaming on Twitch has been like the main um, the main reason I got into it. And then playing it with on Twitch and having so much help, like learning how to play it because it is such an insanely difficult game to begin to understand has been been really really awesome. Nice, nice. Yeah. Did anybody come up to you from when you were at the convention and be like, "Oh, I'm the guy who played with you the other day"? And no, because I haven't. I don't think I've done a convention as I've been streaming. Maybe I have. I can't remember. I can't remember, but I definitely, um, I definitely will meet some people in London who I, uh, who I, who are on stream with me, and and will will come and hang with me for sure. Nice. Oh, that'll be nice. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't like usually play with too many people on stream. I'm usually sort of running it alone, especially in these earlier missions. But there's definitely a lot of people on stream who I've met or will meet, uh, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, it's a big community. Uh, yeah, you know, even at Star Trek uh, Vegas, there were like a there were like booths set up of like fleets. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, wow. So then I sort of like got you know, oh, there's something going on here. You know, this is this is a real community. It's uh, it's it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I tried a few months ago during the pandemic. We were thinking about doing live streams of all the old classic games. Man. And they're hard. They are super, super Those hard. Yeah. Old games are not easy. I think we started the first one we did was like Fleet Command. Wow. Fleet Command was basically impossible. Yes. And I hated every second of it. <laughs> it crashed on me every second. Me it was too. so hard. I found that um, Elite Forces has really held up. That's the one yeah, that Elite has really Forces held out. People have, have been sort of saying, like, you got to do Bridge Commander next. Um, so I think I might try that, and we'll see how that goes. It's all, it's uh, what What is entertaining about it is it sort of feels like it's both, like, some strange blast into the past, you mm-hmm. know? And also, there's just some relief. Like, it's fun to see, you know, these, these actors having worked on this video game and do funny voice acting and stuff like that. I found right. it really enjoyable. Kind of check in to see what people are up to, like... You know, in the in the early 2000s, working on some random video game. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, Noah, I want to thank you so very much for spending your Saturday afternoon with us to converse about Trek, your your uh, life in Trek, and to play Star Trek Online with us. We're really excited to have had you on. Uh, why don't we remind everybody how they can follow you? For sure. For sure. Well, thank you guys for having me. It's a blast, and it's cool that there are people who are streaming this game who know so much more about me. I always think that's really really fun to kind of see like oh my god this is how you actually play it so so thank you for letting me tag along with you guys uh you can come hang out with me on twitch at the type one trekkie we have a uh we have a lot of fun in there it's been a really really great time and we're sort of building this really fun community and you know building up our own little um crew which is great we've got a little like crew manifest that that is slowly building um so come hang out with me there and and follow me on on Twitter at uh, N underscore A underscore K. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so very much for uh, joining us this afternoon. We hope you'll come on again sometime and uh, yeah. blow some stuff up. Anytime. Absolutely. Thank you so Anytime, much. Anytime, you guys. Anytime. On screen. Computer. Set Star Trek Prodigy Season 1, Episode 2, Starstruck on screen. 
Holographic Captain on the Bridge. With the guidance of their hologram advisor Janeway, the crew of the Protostar is tested when their ship is on a dangerous cosmic collision course. But will this crew be willing to accept the guidance that's offered? All right, let's get those statistics out of the way. This episode was written by Kevin and Dan Higeman, directed by Ben Hibben, and aired November 4th, 2021. Roscoe, I feel as if though the last time we've tried to record these things, uh, something's gone terribly wrong, so I'm going to give you the mic first, sir. Oh, that's very, very kind of you. Yeah, temporal anomalies will do that. They're funny things when you're trying to talk to other people on the side, other side of the planet, but all is good so far. This episode felt like part three to last week. We're still setting things up and setting up all of the dynamics straight off the bat. And I, I know I said this last week, the colors in this television program are beautiful. The level of effort that's gone into the color palette, the color palette of the crew, just contrasting against the silvers and the grays and the blacks of the starship itself, the protostar, that tells you that this crew normally wouldn't be here. They don't quite fit. I love the way that they're telling you that visually. It's really great and it gives me that little insight into how they make children's television. They tell you these things through the aspects of the colour palette. Hollow Janeway, bit of fun, bit of sass, little bit of back and forth with Jank and Pog. Absolutely, thoroughly enjoyed it. She's hideous. Why is her forehead so smooth? You're no summer peach either, Tellerite. (laughs) Jacob Pog likes her. Dull. He's the lead character, but here's the thing. I still don't 100% trust him. He's he's a person who seems to be always out for themselves or has been previously. And so that aspect of him coming into a crew, taking the lead role as the captain, quote unquote. Yeah, it's it's just going to be really interesting to watch that because they're, they're set, setting it up. But when you say you don't trust him, you think he's a villain or I think at some point he's going to make some choices for himself as opposed to for in the best interest of the crew and the ship I think that at some point that is going to happen I have to tell you man I think you're overthinking it it's a kid's show remember probably it's a kid's show I I don't know it's layered man it's layered um, but you know in this episode I mean it's obvious that he has gone through some stuff so there's a reason that he's acting like, like that mm. right and I think that in the setting of a children's show I don't think we're going to get so deep. I think that the like the moral of the story was it's okay to ask for help, right? Like, I, and so yeah, I don't know that the, there's a like I need to trust him because I think it's a kids show and he's he's gonna be all right. Yeah, I'm sure he'll be all right. Yeah, I mean he might get presented with that situation, but ultimately you know he'll make the right decision. Right, right. Something I um I didn't get to mention last week because again temporal anomalies was the little Cation kitten character watching the first episode and then again with this um, this episode Starstruck sitting there with my wife watching it she said to me are they going to go back for the Cation are they going back for the kitten why are they leaving them on the mining planet what's what's the go and then later on in the week she saw it like a cast photo of Star Trek Prodigy and very loudly informed me that she feels like they have no intention of going back to rescue the kitten because the kitten's not there in the cast photo and why isn't anyone saving the kitten she was pretty angry about it. Mm-hmm. 
I gotta say, I was a little upset that the kitten got left behind too in that first episode. I'm, oh, I'm with you, guys. I'm with you all on that. Yeah, they put the kitten in the can. It's in. It's in a. It's in a can spacesuit. I know. Pulling rocks. Aw, it can't even talk to anyone. That's so. That's so crazy. So, is there anything you feel they could have improved upon or done better, delivered better in this particular episode? I think maybe there was a little bit of an opportunity lost with all of those holographic starships when Janeway was informing the crew about what the Federation is and what Starfleet is. Would have liked to have seen the Cerritos in there, maybe. Uh, But there was lots of nice little callbacks in that moment, seeing all of the um, cartoonified starships. I had a moment thinking, is that the same black hole the Cerritos got caught in? The same uh, sort of phenomena? No, I think this show, I don't think they could have done anything differently. I think this show is still finding its feet and it's going to take a little while to get into the groove. So far, so good. I'm enjoying what I'm seeing on the screen, so I'm giving it three and a half out of five. Kat, how about you? What were your thoughts on this week's episode? I mean, I really enjoy the show so far. I mean, it's light and fun, and I like that, you know, you're learning about Starfleet and the Federation from the future, but yet still from Janeway, which is amazing. I know I didn't get to talk about it last week, but this week, though, I loved the scene uh, in the mess hall with Rock Talk and... Jank and Pog. Yes. And how it was so sad, though, because she was like, I've never eaten any other food. I don't know what to eat. <laughs> Aww. I appreciate a gal who knows what she likes. So then you're like, how young are they stealing these children? This is terrible, that poor kitten. And then you get to see the kitten later. So maybe all is not lost for the kitten. I have I have hopes. I think the kitten will be saved in like the last episode. Like they'll go back and free the mining. And, and that's how we'll know everything's okay because the little Cation kitten is free. Yeah, I hope so. I do too. Otherwise, there'll be a riot at my house. <laughs> Seriously, I'm like, that's a- Pitchforks at the Paramount Gate. Surely. <laughs> they realize that that's a huge missed opportunity if they don't do that. I really loved uh, the scene, you know, when Gwen escapes and Rock Talk has to go get her and, you know, how angry she is and they're building this shuttle around them. And that's that's a really cool feature, by the way, that they can just fabricate 3D print vehicles. So that'd be something I'd like to see in Star Trek Online. But, you know, she's really angry at her. You know, she's, you know, saying, hey, you never helped us or anything. And so I love that dynamic that's happening there because then she's making Gwen kind of think about what what was going on on the planet or asteroid there. We're all going to die if we don't get out of here. Why should I listen to you? You never helped us. You're a bad lady. So is there anything you think that uh, this episode could have done a little differently? I mean, nothing comes to mind. I love Janeway and her coffee still, even though she's hologram. Yeah, that was a nice touch. I, I like how they're how they're doing it. You know, it is very big and colorful. It's it's attractive to the eye. So I, I really enjoyed this episode. You know, it's been a really long time since I've watched a kid's show. I mean, I don't have kids, and I think the last thing I actually watched from start to finish was Tron Legacy that was geared towards children, but was, you know, very dealt with adult themes quite a bit, you know, which is 
to my understanding, one of the reasons why Disney didn't renew Tron Legacy for a second season was because it was written a little too much for adults. As rudimentary and as in your face the teachings are in this show, I like it. Janeway talks about equality and she has that entire monologue about what the Federation is about. Mind you, it's the first time we've ever heard Kate Mulgrew read the opening credits, right? The space, the final frontier, you know, these are the voyages to explore strange new worlds, to seek out life and civilizations, to boldly go. And I was like, ooh, it's the first time we heard Kate Mulgrew say that. It's so cool. Yeah, that was nice. I like to boldly go. There, you could see Rock talk, uh, played by Riley Alizraki, you know, react to it. What? Equality? Wow. You know, these these very important concepts that we want to teach young children, right? That together in infinite diversity, in infinite combinations, we can succeed. And we have in its antithesis, Dell trying really hard to be the captain and his arrogance shows, right? And at the end, you know, he, it's very much in your face. Well, I guess, you know, a good captain knows when to ask for help, you know, like that. There's the moral of the story, kids. You don't have to rely only on yourself, but ask for help. It's okay to ask for help. And Kat, to your point, again, you know, uh, this actor, Riley, this actor, young actress, Riley, is just phenomenal. I mean, the mo- when she walks in and, and confronts Gwen in the, in the brig, the sadness in her voice yeah. was heartbreaking. It was so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. I, at the end of the episode, I found myself thinking and feeling, ah, oh, gee, I want more, right? Like, I, I want, I definitely want more John Noble. I mean, I absolutely love John Noble. I want more of him. I wish that he was in a live action show so badly because I mean, I loved him in Fringe and, and several other things that I've, I've had the opportunity of catching him uh, do. It's just, he's so good. And so I don't think that this season we're going to have a long drawn out thing. I think that these episodes, they're, they're a little over 22 minutes long. If that, we're going to see little slices of what's happening aboard the Prodigy. Aboard the Protostar, you mean? Aboard the Protostar. That's right. I'm sorry. Which which disappoints me because, again, at the end of this episode, I was like, oh, gee, I want more of this. Like, I, 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 I wish this was longer because of how well they're executing the moral play. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think that Hologram Janeway knows that they're not really cadets? Oh, that I was going to bring up. That was my one thing where I'm like, you think she's just going with it that it's cadets? It just has to make sense to her? I don't I don't know. I mean, I would assume Janeway would know better, but would hologram Janeway know better? I think she knows because she turns her back to them at one point in this episode and kind of makes a face, you know, like to the audience. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling that hologram Janeway knows that they're really not cadets and that they're a young group of kids on this on this ship. and, And I think she's going to make sure that they are protected. I feel like she's like the EMH when he first gets switched on in Voyager. I think she's at the moment, she's at the base level of programming, but I think she will learn and upgrade. And because she's Janeway, she will she will figure things out or she's based off Janeway. So she's going to figure it out pretty quickly. I think she's at some point soon, it will actually, the penny will drop fully because she will become, she will grow as a, as a character and as a holographic life form, if you will, like much like the Doctor in Voyager. Now, but here's the thing with that is 
supposedly now this could just be a plot hole or I don't or it perhaps it was done on purpose. Supposedly when they diverted all power to the impulse engines, everything else shut down, including the hologram. But then when they called her name, she came up again. Janeway. <sighs> I need your help. You know how to keep a lady waiting. I wonder, again, if she's again aware that they're really not cadets and have have no clue what they're doing and she's just playing coy like to just not scare them away to just give them their space and guide them along the way or she thinks they're cadets and is just letting them make their own mistakes because that's what she's programmed to do i don't know i mean surely she'd be aware there's no other crew on board if she right right they're not in uniform could extrapolate like hey these probably aren't starfleet folks and if the protostar is supposed to be as advanced as it we were led to believe or the setup is leading us to believe then i would imagine that she's an emh mark 40 right you know something that's way beyond even the programming of of the doctor on voyager uh because even within voyager you know in that episode with uh what's his face andy dick you know he's emh mark 11 or something right isn't that what that whole plot is about in that and, yeah andy dick <laughs> andy dick yeah 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 i think that i think hollow janeway knows i think she knows she's on to them She's on to it. And, and she'll start revealing that more and more as, as the series goes on. And plus, she may have records, you know, or at least can access maybe the what happened to the ship. So she may have more information. Right, 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 right. That poor little Cation. That poor little Cation. They better save that, <laughs> that Cation. Save that kitten. Surely they're showing it so that we can see what's going on with it, right? I... I kind of wish I had kids that I could watch this show with to see if they how they react to it. Yeah, I love reading the Twitter uh, reviews of, you know, grandparents and parents watching it with their kids. It's adorable. All right, cadets, let's get to work. That wraps up this week's on screen for Star Trek Prodigy. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See? Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. This week we asked, are you an active crafter in Stowe? If so, how do you use the crafting system and what is most rewarding to you? Also, did you watch the Prodigy premiere? Without giving away spoilers, what were your thoughts? Via Twitter, Captain BG2301 replied with, I am not a crafter. The only reason I even touch the crafting system is to level it up for recruits. Other than that, there is no use for it. The Prodigy premiere was good. I'm looking forward to seeing more. Via Twitter, Jason Smith replied with, I was an active crafter when it came, built beams, matching gear for buffs and upgrades, but once all the gear is at max on upgrades, there's no need to do any more crafting. Via Twitter, MindGames96 replied with, I want the Prodigy sword and big gun in stow. Via Facebook, Mauricio Villarreal Camacho wrote, The graphic graphics are beautiful, but the story, I hope it gets better in the next episodes. I haven't been so disappointed in a Star Trek project since the pilot of Enterprise. Oh boy. Mauricio, de verdad chico, no te gustó Prodigy. I'm assuming you speak Spanish. That is a very Latino name and I'm just going to go for it. So, a ti no te gustó Prodigy. 
¿Pero qué te pasa, Cere? Que era lindo ese, ese mu esos muñecos. ¿Qué pasa, hombre? Jamal Taylor, also on Facebook, wrote, Love the Prodigy premiere. Hope without having to save everything in existence is a nice change of pace and a great counterpart to Lower Decks. Great visuals, music, and cast. Looking forward to watching this. Love being able to say that about two Trek shows again. And David Collins, also on Facebook, said, I haven't crafted anything in Stowe for a while unless you count the endless bonus research XP projects. Mark II, very rare crafted gear is great for selling on the exchange when I've got the lobes. Well, that wraps up episode 530 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. And we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, and Gerald Bosch. Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment or a voice message on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. And to our friends and fans that listen to us on Facebook, we've added our podcast to the new Facebook feature that allows you to get your podcasts directly through the app. So be sure to set your notifications on and follow our page on Facebook so that on Fridays when we publish the show, you can listen to it right from Facebook as you're doom scrolling. Nice. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, Thomas, Gray, me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek online players, whether you're new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Captains, this entire production is built by volunteers, and with your help, we can continue to produce the quality content you've come to expect each and every week, and find ways of improving the show for you. So, if you have a dollar to spare a month, because many dollars make for great content, visit us over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. And don't forget to tune in to the fine folk at Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, The Guard will take you inside the universe of your favourite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publication tools, tips, tricks and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secret. Thanks to our audio editors. This week, intro, feedback and closing were edited by William. Trek It Out by Rand Hurl. Gaming by Brandon. Our interview with Noah was edited by Alexander. On screen by Roscoe. Thanks to our producer Jake and associate producers Shane and Thomas. Together they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our graphic artist Alejandro with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to our social media managers Sarah and James. Thanks to the composer of our theme music Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. 
Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage. Could you see Mariner working with Picard? I uh, not <laughs> yet. Not yet. Yes. So, all right, you might, but you know why? Because the world's upside down where you live. <laughs> but maybe I've yeah. got more blood flow to my brain, so it broadens my perspective. <laughs> oh, am I still going? Thanks to our graphic artist. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com.